This is Droid Dreamer, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Live. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the very first time, welcome to the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And uh, I am joined by a couple of fantastic gentlemen tonight, one of which is a uh, very familiar voice, and the other is GM Phil, my co-host. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Uh, We're sans GM Dave tonight. He's got to work at his game shop, unfortunately, but he may be popping in a little later to surprise us and derail the show. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) As as is his want. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's been a a good couple weeks, man. Phil, you just got back from Las Vegas, so... I did. It was a good time, and... I, I, I did the, uh, the the challenge, and I did not gamble once out in Vegas at all. Oh, I'm really proud of you. That's impressive. <laughs> there were a couple times I'm like, ah, maybe I will. And then I'm like, hmm, I would rather spend this $100 on something that I can, like, get a guaranteed bit of entertainment from. Oh, so. that's just, that's quitter talk. Uh <laughs> <laughs> No, but it was a good time. It was a fun time. Um, the reason why I went out there was great. The vacation days afterwards were were awesome, and I'll probably go back. And Cirque du Soleil is as awesome as they say. It is. I will agree and attest to that. Um, Ka is amazing, folks. If you ever get out to Vegas, go see Ka. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, it's a good show. So we have you, but obviously sans Dave, um, and even though you're on your Vegas high, uh, we do have a third incredible voice on the show, uh, very familiar to our listeners, um, joining us once again, and it's been far too long. Uh, welcome back, Mr. Sterling Hershey. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for offering. Um, <laughs> you were, yeah, very very impromptu and totally awesome. We, uh, you, you were obviously uh, with us in the last episode, live streaming, and uh, we discussed our topic of conversation, and you said... I would like to talk about that. And we're like, yes, we would love for you to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> cool, because we would love to have you on to talk it's like about fantastic. that. Fantastic. Well, we would love to have you on. Um, of course, getting getting any of your precious time, I consider to be miraculous because you're possibly the busiest man I've ever met and known. Um, so 
How are you, sir? How's uh, how's life? Busy. How's life treating you? Just super busy. <laughs> I don't know about super busy, but uh, now uh, things are going things are going pretty pretty good. Um, you know, all the normal work stuff and uh, a little freelance here and there, and uh, uh, all the government shut down to get in the way of things. You know, all the normal stuff. Yes, all the fun and normal stuff. <laughs> what are you building these days? Uh, let's see. Um, um, well, actually, I can't say, I guess. Um, <laughs> worked on that side, too. Uh, I've been working with um, on a couple of different little, little projects, well, little for us, um, that are, one's a collegiate arena that's going to, I don't know, get, get some sort of uh, study underway, and uh, the other um, has been uh, uh a corporate uh, cafeteria of all things, kind of unusual for for uh, my line of work. That is odd. Sometimes, sometimes well, sometimes uh, you know, other offices uh, also need our time. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're busy working on a lot of stuff you can't talk about. Phil's also working on stuff he can't talk about, uh, and and a few things he can. Except you were in Vegas. Um, yes. I was in Miami uh, last week, or no, the week, yeah, last week, not this past week, but the week prior, I was in Miami. Um, I got the chance to meet up with a D2, longtime D20 radio listener, um, Lenny, uh, Leonard Pimentel. Um, oh, who, cool. Yeah, and, um, uh, you know, and Len is a, a proud Cubano and uh, took me out into the little Havana area and uh, down on Calle Ocho, and uh, we had some amazing Cuban food followed by some amazing Spanish tapas. And talked role-playing games for hours and hours and hours, um, and he's done his fair share of uh, indie freelancing as well. So it was a it was a really fun and cool trip. Awesome, uh, man! Yeah, very very cool. But well, gentlemen, we have an interesting topic tonight and a lot to cover, um, and I'm really excited to get into it. So shall we get into the heart of our show, or at the very least, the cock the cockles area, the arteries, the around the heart, where we begin, where where the blood. Fl- yeah, yeah. This is a horrible, horrible metaphor. You, do you, you want to get into some announcements, Phil? Let's do that. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. All right, what do we got? Well, we got our featured podcast of the week. Tis the season for a new podcast, it seems. And we are proud to welcome another new show to the folds of the D20 Radio Network. One that has been in the works for a long time. Helmed by some familiar names in the D20 Radio community. JT Domino, Ben Erickson, and Robert Han. Their show has been in the works for months, and we're glad to announce that the Powered by Fate podcast has been released today. Episode 1, Why Fate? is now live. And this inaugural episode of the podcast devoted to all things Fate role-playing dives right in with an overview of the Fate system, what it's geared for, and they're already tackling listener questions. They also dive into the Masters of Umdar, a recent Fate World supplement from Evil Hat, and it's a great listen. If if you're a fan of Fate or just the Fate curious, you must (laughs) check it out. 
This episode literally dropped today, so it should be on iTunes and other podcatchers shortly. In the meantime, you can listen to it directly at pbfpodcast.podbean.com, or you can find it and many other great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. I'm so excited for PBF. I have been uh, talking with JT about this for months and months and months, and they've been working hard to get this set up and prepped, and... I'm a huge fan of Fate, so um, uh, all the way going back to Spirit of the Century. Um, so I'm 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 thrilled, and uh, yeah, you guys should give it a listen. Um, and I see J- uh-huh. J- JT's in chat watching us live stream right now. So congratulations, JT and Ben, um, uh, who I think is also in chat. I think I don't think Rob's in chat, but either way, congratulations, guys, um, and welcome to the network. And while you guys are at d20radio.com checking out those great podcasts that Phil mentioned, including PBF, uh, you'll also discover the greatest gaming blog this side of the Kessel Run, which will be glad to explain to you just what a Parsec actually is and is also home to the best fan-generated articles and content on the inner tubes. Uh, highlights from this week, uh, Ben Erickson returned, uh, speaking of Ben Erickson, returned to his workshop series uh, with another fully fleshed character option um, or an awesome NPC for your D&D games. Sharn the Swashbuckling Blade, uh, a brilliant concept to inspire your next PC or a foe or ally to toss into your games. Uh, it's a rogue bard combo with a foamy backstory and lots of tricks up his puffy sleeves. And he's ready to toss on your table right now. Um, also, uh, this week, our editor-in-chief, Wayne Basta, rolled up his own puffy sleeves to reveal a set of wicked X-Wing tattoos with the new upgrade guide for X-Wing 2.0, this time focusing entirely on Rebel and Imperial crews. Uh, incredibly comprehensive article and guide. Um, it will up your own game with rankings, comments, and combos for every single crew uh, that you can have. Uh, you guys can find all this content and so much more in terms of articles and incredible stat blocks and other great content daily at www.d20radio.com. Finally, you all want to stay in the know by following us on social media news and podcast info on a daily basis. Like the Order 66 Podcast's Facebook page for regular updates, to ask us questions, and for the place to watch our unedited simulcasts of each show. And join the D20 Radio group for our lively discussion. You can also follow the GMs on Twitter, at D20 Radio, and you can join our ever-growing and thriving D20 Radio Discord channel. We post and tweet new show info announcements regularly. Yes, uh... So, shall we get to the meat of our particular show? Let's get to the heart of the matter, man. See, you're carrying my bad metaphor. Why are you doing that? You're just shaming me now. Because Dave's not here to do it? Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for filling his shoes. <sighs> They're big shoes. I try, man. I All try. Right. Let's do it. Do we have a tentative title for tonight's titular topic? It was teased long ago, long ago being two weeks, and that is quite simply assets under management. Yes. The idea here, guys, is that everyone needs a place to hang their hat, whether it's a home on the wild frontier, a penthouse apartment in an urban landscape, a cell phone nightclub, or a station in outer space. 
Home might even be a starship, be it a sleek, fast freighter or a million-ton vessel with a crew of thousands. And acquiring these assets may be easier than actually owning them, and in some cases, managing them could be more trouble than they're worth. So over the years, we at the podcast have seen folks on social media asking how to handle PCs owning and managing these assets in play. They can seemingly tie the story down, locking it into one location, or unwittingly give the PCs access to resources that solve the GM's carefully crafted complication with sledgehammer-delivered results. Desperate Allies and Far Horizons both gave us rules for establishing bases and homesteads, but once the PCs sink all those hard-earned resources into them, what do you do with them? How does a GM use these locations effectively while not tying the story down to those places? What does a GM do when their PCs capture or steal a warship that requires a crew of dozens or thousands and they don't want to give it up? Well, we here at the Order 66 podcast have some ideas, but it was imperative, of course, and we were grateful to call in an expert to help us with these matters, of course, longtime friend and D20 Radio's own Sterling Hershey. So clear those ships for docking, hang up that back-in-two-hour sign on the bar door, and lock down the outer perimeter to listen to our return to homesteads, bases, and battleships tonight on your Order 66 podcast. First of all, once again, Sterling, thank you so much for joining us on this discussion tonight. Yeah, great to be part of it. All right, so dialing it back. First, folks, you may want to pause this show and go back and listen to a few of the shows that we've done in the past on these topics. First one being episode 48, Capital Interest, where we discuss using capital ships in your games and how to handle PCs in control of such warships. Episode 59, Homestead is Where the Obligation Is, is our show about obtaining, using, and improving homesteads and businesses as outlined in Far Horizons. Finally, the follow-up to that, all your base in your face, our talk on establishing rebel bases for the Alliance, all drawn from the Desperate Allies sourcebook. Go back and re-listen to those episodes to get a good groundwork and our recommendation on using and generating those assets in play. But now, let's talk about asset management. So you've got yourself a home. Yeah. Maybe it's a nice homestead on some colony world or a platform floating in the atmosphere of a gas giant. Could be a bar, nightclub, an exotic antiquities boutique. Could be a space station on a minor hyperlane. Or maybe you've got yourself a Corvette, a frigate, or bulk freighter. All, all these resources can be managed and managed well using the innate systems included in this system. But how do you do that? And I guess that's really what we're here to talk about tonight. And I've seen and heard some really odd stuff over the years. And um, our, our show tonight, guys, is going to be a little conversational. Uh, you know, we were eager to <clears throat> take advantage of Sterling's expertise on this um, and, and really just have a, a really good conversation about it, kind of talking through some very key points and really sharing with you a lot of our best practices and tips and our experience, not only in what we've seen, but what we've run and what's worked and what hasn't. Uh, when it comes to using these these really disparate systems. Um, <clears throat> because our discussions that we've already had on on Desperate Allies and Far Horizons, I mean, homesteads, businesses, bases, they, they can add a lot to your play. Um, but, you know, I think it can go a bit deeper. And I think this is a really interesting concept to start with and really perhaps dive into 
in terms of talking about how this kind of long-term asset, regardless of what it is, before we even talk about what's best for your particular party or why, um, I'd like to really talk about what this can mean for a party and not only from a role playing I mean from from a role playing standpoint and a mechanical standpoint how it can impact what they do and how the GM really runs their story Sure So what kind of depth what kind of meaning what can it do why why bother with it with it at all Well, it starts off with having a place to call their own. Um, it could be a property that they manage or it's a listening post under their command. Uh, it can be meaningful to players and the characters uh, just just from the, like, the, the ownership standpoint. You know, this is mine, you know. It's kind of like well, some of the, one of the main reasons, well, not a main reason, but a reason why people want to own their own home. It's mine. I, I can do with it what I want. So it gives PCs something in play that they can come back and say, oh, this is mine. I built it up this way. It does this thing. It's a point of pride. Even in the cases where I use that too much, to some people, it's, it's, it's their thing. It's important to them. You know, I think about Fallout and how many, time, how many hours people sink into their settlements or their little base camps or whatnot. They'll just spend hours building it up to it so it looks like great. No, maybe no one will ever see it. Except that piece, <clears throat> except that player, but it's important to them. Very true, very true. Well, from a practical standpoint, it also gives a a uh, place for people to keep their stuff. <laughs> and uh, that's a good point. Some place where they, at least, where they feel safe leaving their stuff. And I know maybe it's just from like really early days of D and D, where you always had to worry about where everything was. At least <laughs> what in our kind group. of dick GM uh, is taking is going to have your stuff stolen while you're away. Right. That's right. So, uh, but <laughs> no, it, it's. Um, gives them a, a safe place to stash things and uh, also to just build it over time. And, uh, you know, some groups will get way into one part or the other. Others just, you know, basically want a, a large safety deposit box and say, yes, it's all safe over there. Let's go run over. We'll, we'll come back when we need that thing. <clears throat> you know, and with that, for uh, in, in my own experience running these kinds of, can we can we come up with a, a solid term we can use to refer to these? Because I don't want to I don't want to keep saying bases or battle stations or cap ships or homesteads or businesses. Uh, I call them assets. Okay, an asset. Okay, so <clears throat> you know, for me, uh, when you talk about leaving stuff in the in your asset, ooh, that that I don't know if I like. <laughs> I don't think that that was well. your choice of phrasing, friend. <laughs> I think we have a show title too: "Leaving Stuff in Your Asset." Um, <laughs> all about assets. <laughs> Look at the size of that asset. <laughs> um, when you, we could call it home base if if that's if that's if asset is too. Uh, oh no, the damage is done. Uh, <clears throat> asset it is. Carry on. Sir. <clears throat> the a asset it is. Um, when you when you talk about about having that long term asset to leave things there and do that for a lot of the groups I've run with this stuff and played that that thing they leave behind sometimes for good sometimes for ill is often people and uh specifically i'm talking about npcs that tend to accrue around my party like flies or gnats on a on a donkey um <laughs> that they need a place to stow um i have to put you somewhere i have to put you somewhere guess what <laughs> i have a job for you um i've got a really useful rebel base for you in the uh, age of rebellion book yes yes 
You know, I need, I need a new work. Tone hotel. <laughs> um, lately, I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I got for Christmas. And you, uh, in the in the video game, you uh, you control a, a ship, and when you when you uh, take out somebody, uh, if you're clever and you do it right, you can you can knock them out instead of killing them. And then if you knock them out, you can go up to them and be like, "Hey, you need to come join my ship crew," and then they'll come join the <laughs> ship crew. So that's uh, uh, you know, the, yeah, yeah. You you just collect you just collect NPCs, but then you Shanghai. know, it's just Shanghai. That's pretty. That's pretty much it. Um, but you know, then some, especially when you talk about homesteads and businesses, um, a lot of those guys, a lot of those things are going to have work hands, employees, operatives, soldiers for bases that are just naturally going to be there. Um, that almost, almost whether, whether the players planted them there or not, or whether they're just a fixture of the asset. Um, I mean, they're, they're kind of recurring characters They're and they, they have a lot of benefit they can provide. Um, I mean, yeah, the GM can absolutely tap into those for for plot lines, for subplots. So you know, dive into, get after that. Um, one of the things you could do is that yes, um, in the, especially in the case of homesteads and businesses, some one one NPC will arrive like per PC who's assigned to that. They just show up. Their employees, their their work hands, their allies, their whatnot. GMs could have some of those NPCs have secret histories and pasts that are seeds for great storylines. You could even have some of them working against the PCs, um, you know, whether they belong to a criminal organization or like an alliance versus empire type thing. Well, they just don't. Um, like I would them recommend. Very much. That, what's that? Or they just don't like them very much for some reason. Or they just don't like them. Or maybe they the PCs wronged them or their family at some point in the past, and they're secretly there to 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 f with them. Um, if you do that, don't have more than one or two at the most be these like deceptive behind the scenes split loyalty types. Uh, and if you do have two of them, sometimes it could be fun to have them have the two NPCs with differing loyalties be counter to each other. Like if you're playing an, as a, uh, a, uh, a homestead or a bit or a, a business and you've got two people in there who have differing loyalties, have those two differing loyalties objective to each other, like empire versus uh, alliance or uh, competing gangs. Interesting. You know, that way you could come up to a point where folks are like, okay, <clears throat> We really don't like these folks, but we do like these folks. We don't like these folks even more. So we're going to help you, but we're going to hinder you or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Well, if you don't want to get to that, even that level, I mean, you could have just political differences and political meaning, you know, different factions within the same, within, within the Alliance. I mean, you look at Rogue One and you have all those different opinions about how the rebellion should be, should go. And uh, that's a great example of, okay, you're definitely going to agree with maybe how, one side is, you know, proceeding versus another, you know, you got some extremists in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, you know, it doesn't necessarily raise the level of, we're going to go, going to go take you out, but we're, you know, going to have a huge argument every time we talk about tactics or something. (laughs) Why don't we just bomb them? No, Ralph, we're not going to just bomb them. They can add a lot of color. That's that's very interesting. And you could go so far as to have it impact your plot or even potentially available resources. Um, 
This is all well, and, and, you know, and even PC among the PCs will probably have different points of view on tactics anyway. So it, it you know, it doesn't. It's not all just one group against some some other group in the base. It could divide up the your own group a little bit. Now you don't want it to get too far and have people just completely ticked off all the time. Sure. Uh, unless I mean, they're you know fine playing that way, but. And it can be hilarious to have like some of the more extreme PCs have like NPC supporters are like, no, I'm with him. <laughs> well, okay. Now, now on the flip side of the coin, we have all GM'd parties who can't see the forest for the trees. And despite however many clues you throw at them, they're going to completely miss the point, completely miss the primary objective or clue or go about it through the most asinine way possible having a cadre of trusted NPCs at the ready can be the voice of um, uh, reality smack to be, guys, you're really overcomplicating this. Or or do you think that might mean this? Or have you guys considered that? It's a a way to, I don't want to say railroad your players. It's a way to enlighten your players without it being railroady. How about that? Yes. Yes. And like you said, it's it's a way to, uh, provide voices that they will, you know, that they know they can trust. Because especially if you're in scum and villainy kind of stuff, you it sort of revels in this. Oh, who can who can you really trust? You know, how far can you really trust them? But if they have at least a few people around that they can really, really can trust, it does help. And so a base or a uh, location uh, definitely helps with that. Oh, and by the way, uh, JT, who is in chat right now, may have a winner for the episode title, which is uh, oh. uh, Dead Asset, though. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, also, on the subject on the subject of, uh, of NPCs, uh, uh, Jeff Hayde says, uh, a great idea for an NPC is a survivalist that keeps taking and stashing their gear away for an emergency. <laughs> it's like it's like where did this go? Uh, it's in the wall. <laughs> that's Base that's maniac. Oh, that's just fantastic. Um, <clears throat> secret cash. What oh. secret cash? I can't tell you it's secret. I hate you so much. Uh, fi- finding Actually, finding an, another PC super. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say now that I think about it. I think. You know, I was running Dark, the Dark Strider campaign back in West End, which is, takes place all on one ship that the PCs basically own and run. Yes, yeah. Uh, Corvette. Uh, I had, I had um, so one of the characters had this mouse droid that they mounted an arm to, and so forth. And that thing would run around and, and steal things for them, and and uh, <laughs> spy for them, and it caused all kinds of trouble later on. I, it was it was a lot of fun, but uh, <laughs> doesn't have to just be the characters. So there's a lot of fun options for, for beyond this, you know, the, the basic benefits. And when, when we when we talk mechanically and we'd gone through uh, we, we'd gone through the cap ships, we'd gone through homesteads um, and bases in episode 48 and 59 and 60, we really kind of clearly outlined the mechanical benefits for having this. And, and we're going to kind of talk about that to a large degree coming up. But I really felt it was important to talk about a lot of the role-playing options that a GM can really leverage, aside from what the players will get. But <clears throat> lingering in the back of your mind through all this, for the party and for the players, is this simple fact, guys. When you give a player this kind of asset, with the ability to be upgraded, they are going to sink their hard-earned credits into it. 
And a lot of player characters, at least in my experience, um, a lot of gamers uh, uh, suffer from this sort of gotta catch them all syndrome uh, where we, you know, they, they see all these charts for upgrades as as not just a, an option list, but a punch list, a checklist. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't really consider the place finished uh, unless they acquire it all. And, you know, when we when we talk about, especially if you listen to those prior episodes, when we talk about bases and, and battle stations and homesteads, a lot of this stuff, the way it's outlined, I mean, that, that's that's really hard to do. And a lot of these choices and options and upgrades are really intended to be this or that or one or the other. Uh, any advice for handling that with your party? Is that something a GM can use tactically? Or how do you handle PCs that have this, you know, gotta upgrade it all syndrome? Um, and are there any fun ways we can either deal with it, use it, or combat it if it becomes a problem? Well, it does get, It does build in motivation for the party. You always have the next thing that they want to go get. This is true. That's it may true. not match the adventure you want to run, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you can tie that in. Um, as far as the, those folks who are trying to get everything, there are some... Uh, like one thing that, that leaps to mind is the like the security options for homesteads. Um, talking with Keith Capel about it, he always intended PCs to be able to get all the options there. But if you look at the chart, it says that there are four, like five options, and the PCs can choose four of them uh, because they thought that was a balance. Because FFG decided it was a balance issue for them to be able to pick up all five. Where Keith is like, no, nah, my my original intention was for it to be like every, you can get them all, and you know it, it, he doesn't think it really breaks the game too much if you do. And in many cases, it's it's probably fine. Um, PCs who are trying to get them all, though, um, look at it from a look at it from from a critical standpoint and try to see okay if they do acquire all these options, what's it going to do to my game? Where's Where's the where's the break point? Where at what point does it get to be too much? And then you can either try to curtail it or you can steer it away. Just because an NP just because of the PCs get these particular assets doesn't mean they're permanent. You can always have something happen and take it away. An NPC could get killed. Um, a system could get brought down. Uh, a critical failure could happen in a lab or a, or a workshop and cause extensive damage. Um, or well, presumably they're gathering all this stuff to to use, right? And so yeah, you can you make adventures that uh, that give them the opportunity to use the stuff that they have, uh, and so they can lose some of it along the way. But uh, and that's at least in their, something... at least that way, if they lose it, they felt like well, at least we got a chance to use it for what we intended. I think what 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 gets frustrating for some people is if they spend a lot of time putting something together and then they never get to use it for the whatever the reason was that they they were assembling it. And that's one of the big takeaways from this is just like certain character choices, your players have made the choice. They've made the expenditure of either credits or obligation or duty and commendation scores to sink into these assets. Now, there are some players out there who will who will just be happy for that. Like, hey, yeah, we're building up this base. It's awesome. There are other players who will want that satisfaction, that justification that they made a right player choice by sinking hard-earned resources into these arguably nebulous 
uh, uh, character options. GMs, just like, you know, those talents that remove setback dice, you have to give the players uh, that satisfaction that they made good choices. Introduce thematic elements, introduce storylines and plot lines where having these resources at hand is a boon, is a benefit. So well, and it's also good to ask the, ask the players too, hey, you're buying all this <clears> stuff. <throat> what do you actually plan to do with it? Um, do you, is it just to defend yourself? Do you want to yeah, give a grand plan? You're going to, you know, if you're working on a ship, you're going to use the ship for something. If you're building up to a big, you know, uh, mission or something, uh, right. that, that helps gives you some guidance on on uh, uh, how to proceed. Absolutely. So, so can I can I share a, a bad GMing story with you guys? Yes. Um, <clears throat> uh, shortly after, um, uh, I think it was Homesteads was introduced. Um, I was running an online game, and the uh, the the party had. Uh, we decided that we were all excited about it. So we decided to use the homestead rules and these guys had built a really great homestead. Um, <clears throat> and it was on a, a non canonical planet in the mid rim. And uh, it was uh, without going into too much detail. They, they had, they had really put a lot of time and thought into it. And we had like six sessions in um, and their, their homestead had become an unexpected and impromptu rebel uh, insurgency base as well. Um, where sort of, uh, 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 Star Wars Rebels style, they were sort of trying to strike an uprising on their on this little planet they were on. Um, and okay. so, like, six sessions in, I'm thinking, okay, man, let's be an awesome GM. Let's get the story going here. The Empire finds out, all right? And the planet gets under occupation and full lockdown. And that homestead was demolished. It was completely destroyed. Friends were lost. NPCs they cared about were murdered, okay? And... It had the effect I wanted. It got them incredibly emotionally invested and involved. And then at the end of the session, they were really, really pissed off at me. Ooh. I mean, really, really pissed off at me. And I, I bet. I, and, and, you know, it was one of those moments where you make this decision as a game master where it's an awesome story moment. But I, without thinking about it, had invalidated uh, kind of what you said earlier, Sterling, where you're talking about, you know, giving them an opportunity to use the thing they've purchased. There's 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 emotional investment in the act of putting your imaginary currency <laughs> and time and, and imaginary time and effort into this imaginary construct. And if you take it away, you get emotional backlash. Um, yeah. Now, the other half of the story, and I guess what I really want to share with the listeners is if you're going to do something like this, do what I ended up doing the very next session, which was give them an opportunity um, to get something as a replacement, and it became yeah. a it became a cool adventure on the fly that where they ended up capturing a ship. Okay, they they got their own cap ship, and it it replaced their homestead. And when they got it, we we kind of worked it out, and it had. Uh, and I, I I sort of went out of care, uh, you know. I went. I pulled them behind the screen and said, "Okay, you know, based on on how advanced your homestead was, here's how many upgrades and such you can have for your cap ship. What do you want it to have?" And then they got totally into it, and all of a sudden now they had a mobile homestead. They were rocking again. But right. you know, don't you know, you you can use it for these strong emotional story moments, but just keep in mind the level of investment that your guy that your your players are going to have. Completely fair. And you can also, um, if you want to go down, you know, have a, have a story like that where you're, they have a base or a homestead or something that's going to be attacked. Uh, you can also try and feel out how they feel about this by maybe um, telegraphing it a little bit, uh, giving them a heads up that, hey, something's coming, or even if something isn't coming, maybe you can, you know, 
something can give them the feeling that it is, and then you can see how they respond, and then you can uh, proceed or pull back or change your approach um, that way. Very true. So, okay, guys. Congratulations. You've gained yourself a location-based resource. <laughs> you have an asset. <laughs> you have a big asset. Hooray! Congratulations. Hooray, you got a big asset. Now what? So, well, what other options can a GM do here? What else do we need to think about? Well, in the case of a homestead or a business, the work doesn't simply stop there. If you think about it from a from a logistical standpoint, odds are you don't own the property outright. And someone is going to be contacting you on a monthly basis for things, mortgages, utility bills, licensing, maybe even protection money. Now, in the case of income-generating homesteads, they're probably the easiest to manage because they they create they create credits. More so in the case of businesses, crafty long-term players may even decide to reinvest those credits into the homestead to pay for either more upgrades or to cover the cost of such uh, such annoyances that uh, that are monthly on a monthly basis. You know? Yeah, but that that's a slow burn, man. That's a that's a that, you're right, but that's a slow process. It is a slow process, and honestly, you could also say that the reason why the PCs are only earning like a hundred or two hundred credits in between each month is because that's all the profit there is. Everything else is going to mortgage and utility bills. Um, although I would say, in the case of protection money, that's that's a plot line. So don't have the, the, that monthly stipend be the net profit after protection money. This is true. Um, what about, so go ahead. I was going to say one interesting aspect of that is that, um, depending on what their location is, if they start taking in a lot more money than maybe the surrounding suggest, they might have, might have different problems where, you know, uh, if they're taking too little or too much and it's obvious, uh, it could tip people off that something else is going on around here. Mm. Oh, Interesting. Maybe maybe you have a forensic accountant come talk to the Enron Homestead. Uh, <laughs> wow. That, okay. Wow. That's actually a really. Fu- I mean, okay. I find it fun. My, probably make my players' eyes roll. I find that to be a really fun adventure seed, man. Can you imagine an entire adventure where you have to do nothing but deal with an imperial bureaucrat who's come to do an audit of your homestead? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can see that. And, and you've got a, that's that's a fun little second plot. I mean, the best part about that is it's, you, you have an imperial that's trying to wander around parts of your of your uh, uh, your, yes. your homestead where you're trying to hide the guns for the rebels or the uh, or the uh, you know the holographic projector or you know getting calls at the wrong moments. You know that could be fun, dude. I could just say, right in here, Inspector. Right in here, and then behind him through the hallway is like like six PCs carrying these huge crates of like thermal detonators in, into the <laughs> yes. other room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although now that I've said that, it becomes, you got to kind of watch it because you don't want it to just be like a customs inspection on a starship that you've done a hundred times. You got to, there's got to be some elements in there maybe where you can change it up and have to do something that's not just in that realm. Okay. So you talk about, and and make sure that, go ahead. I was about to say, and make sure that the person who's like doing this inspection is not like some die hard goose stepping Imperial. It's this utter bureaucrat who works for like the sector who this is just their job. 
<laughs> at the end, he's like, this has been a really enjoyable visit, guys. I really want to thank you for it. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, that could be that could be great. You know what it reminds me of? There was a Star Wars comic a while back. Um, it was it was a it was a one off short little story uh, anthology story where it was this imperial uh, customs official who kept pulling over Han Solo and Chewbacca to search their ship because he was convinced they were smuggling something and he couldn't figure it out and it was like it, like six seven eight times he can yeah sure inspect do all you want and it was like driving him insane and the comic was written from his perspective and it's like it's literally it's it's like warming into his mind it's driving him completely insane he can't figure it out he's he's sweating he's going to lose his job and then after the last inspection he finally hits him bolt upright and every time he'd inspected their ship it was a different ship and it finally hits him they're smuggling ships <laughs> 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 and the last panel is, is is Han and Chewie flying away. It's like, well, that was pretty close. This is probably the last run of these we could make. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, but no. Okay, so this conversation though about about customs, uh, about triggering a customs inspection, something like that. Sterling, that is a fantastic use for obligation, um, an obligation trigger. And I, I'd, I'd really like to talk about that because how obligation can play into these assets. Um, and then maybe we can even jaw a little bit about how uh, duty or morality might even play into it. There's a lot There's a lot to deal with here and talk about and unpack when you talk about obligation because it really can play into these assets in a big way, yes? Yeah, I mean, they're expensive. So there's always, you know, upkeep and or additions you want to make. And anytime you want to take on credits is another opportunity to uh, bring obligation in to fund it a little bit. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be even credits. I mean, it could be, you know, hey, my, you know, hey, your cousin, you know, runs a construction business. I need to add on this room on the side without anyone really knowing about it. A little bit of obligation there, even though, you know, beyond to keep the secret beyond just paying for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if you're somehow lucky enough to obtain something like a homestead um, entirely with cash, I mean, are you always going to have some amount of obligation tied to it? Or is it ever going to be obligation free? Well, strictly raw, no. If you take right. the homestead right. as your party resource, no. However, um, I encourage you to GMs to have at least a minor obligation cost always tied to that homestead, always tied to that business, because you can never get rid of all of your obligation as long as you have that. If you own a house, you always have obligation to it. If you own any property, you rent, you rent property, you own a business, you, you own a, you own a boat, which is like basically the, the modern day equivalent of like you owning your own starship. You're always going to have something to worry about with that, with that thing. There's always a chance something's going to break, wear and tear, whatnot. Yeah, it basically becomes the obligation itself. Right. It's big so as long as you have it, there should be an obligation for it, even if it's small, even if it's just like a five-pointer. You could even tie what would seem to be non-related obligations into this, though. I mean, if I have a criminal obligation that triggers, okay, a bounty hunter comes and visits, okay, um, looking for me. Uh, you know, something to that effect. But <clears throat> what... Yeah. So we, we've talked about the customs inspection, which I think is a, a fantastic idea for uh, a business or I'm sorry, for that matter, a, 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 star, a starship um, or, or, or a battle station. 
Um, what other interesting wrinkles can be introduced from an obligation standpoint if it triggers that would affect your homestead or your business or your ship or station? Well, I like the idea of like a representative who's coming to make sure that like the property's up to code. <laughs> Especially in the case of like a starship or a uh, or like a, a restaurant or a casino, you know, a health inspector. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your bar is in trouble. Oh yeah, we're <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna shut you down. <sighs> yeah, they come. There's a dead body back here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a health violation. That's a, he's not. It's not. He's not worried about the murder. Right? Like, he's not worried about the fact there's a, that there's a bit of crime committed. That's a health violation. You know, he puts one of those big <laughs> stickers up on the window, written in arabesque. You know. <laughs> You know, the PCs don't even know about it because it was some someone else in the in some of their one of their patrons left it for them. <laughs> one of their patrons murdered someone, shoved him in a closet. I swear, I knew nothing about this dead guy. Or <laughs> um, even better, the PCs find it first, and they're like, "Oh crap! Now what do we do?" Or, or better yet, flip a destiny point, and they find it when the inspector arrives, five minutes before the inspector arrives. Oh, oh god! To do a kind of weekend at Bernie's thing—that's <laughs> <laughs> a whole new use for the deception skill, right there. Um, the guy could be all in armor, and they just kind of rearrange him and move him around when the when the guy's in another room. God, <laughs> see, it's set back Dice City, and then and then and then the party smugglers like, I bet you got you guys were laughing, you guys were laughing when I took three three knack for it for deception, weren't you? Huh. Huh. <laughs> weren't you? are not you? you're not laughing now, are you? Um, uh, okay, let's let's get a little more mundane and stuff that could lead to something a little less uh, uh, cute, but certainly maybe a little more violent. Bill collectors, man. Yes, yes. Might not even be for the property; could be for something else. Uh-huh. But they know where you live. Exactly. Yeah, maybe they that is definitely a, That's yeah. That's definitely a, a risk by having a place where people know where you are. Uh-huh. And they know where to find you. Um, let me let me throw let me throw this one in your faces. What if um, what if uh, there's a corporation or a governmental entity who like is really concerned about like you know people moving across the territory freely or not freely, and so they want to build a giant wall right where your uh, business is, and they decide to they decide to declare imminent domain and take your land from you. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like you got a rebellion on your hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Permission to get in my X-wing and blow something up, sir. <laughs> Permission granted. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Well done. Um, I mean, absolutely, that fits. I mean, enforcers or new from new gangs who are moving into the area could show up and say, "Hey." Hey, you need to pay us protection money. Mm-hmm. You know, anything like that. You don't even have to have an obligation trigger to use these ideas as plot lines. It just simply means that they are like incurring it, that the PCs aren't incurring a hit to their strain thresholds. You can just like introduce this as a story mark. Uh, you know, you don't need the obligation to trigger any of these plot lines, but if you do roll for an, uh, a a uh, a location <clears throat> and you do get the locations obligation. These are just some good ideas for you. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so that's, that's you know, managing sure said assets. 
Uh, let's get a little. Let's let's kind of focus it down a little bit and talk about you know you know sort of home ownership and your the galaxy far far away. Um, what are the pros and cons to owning these various assets from a gameplay perspective? Oh man. Uh, well, uh, we kind of touched on one earlier, but uh, e- either it, it's the same problem. Uh, I guess it's the same coin with two different sides. Money for nothing or the money pit. Um, you know, especially those PCs that we said that have the, the gotta-get-them-all mentalities, they can sink thousands and thousands and thousands of credits and, and several sessions worth of play into upgrading their asset, and then nothing happens with it. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, Sterling, you talked about this earlier, that how that's really... The, the, G, the GM shouldn't let that happen, and there's there's questions they should ask, and there's things they should know to keep that from happening. But that's a that's a serious potential risk and a potential con. Um, and and honestly, even if the GM knows, you're not going to do anything with it every single session. And do you, do you really want the entire campaign to revolve around this locale? No. So well, you might. Well, you, you might. May, maybe. Maybe. But well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um. I mean, so yeah, that's a that's a that's a concern for me. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe sure it might be a good place to 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 store their stuff, like Sterling said, or to to modify and repair their gear, their vehicles. I, I mean, it, I mean, it's a it's an instant button that lets me hand wave away uh, a place to stay between sessions or uh, a place to recover when they're critically injured between sessions. Um, you know, but but you know, aside from that, unless I, the GM, decide to introduce a plot tied to that asset, I mean, it could effectively be for nothing unless you're using it effectively. So, give them reasons to to make those character choices matter. So, if the PCs picked up improved security options for their homestead, have someone try and break in. Uh, introduce plot points where having one of the specialized NPCs is a benefit. You know, um, like, you know, they buy the infirmary. Well, the infirmary doesn't have to just be for PCs when they're injured. Medical emergency could occur in the area where this extra infirmary is a boon to the community. You could, you know, really endear yourself to, to the locals and potentially have them on your side when some larger problem happens. That's a very interesting thought and thread. Uh, even something as simple as like having the landing bay can be a resource. Like a violent storm or meteor shower is coming in, and only a few vehicles can be placed in the landing bay out of harm's way. Anything out there is exposed to whatever uh, you know weather-based calamity is about to incur. Or maybe they PCs have a choice between protecting their like top-of-the-line, tricked-out, customized vehicles that they own or sheltering a group of refugees or nearby settlers in that landing bay for the storm's duration. Good suggestions. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, but I, again, I, it, the, I think the ultimate point, though, for this particular thing is that it all comes back to appropriate planning on the GM's part. It does. So, you know, don't, don't, and, and don't, don't see the asset as something like, oh God, I got to figure out a way to work this in somehow. I got to find a way to give it validity. I got to find a way to make this a meaningful choice. Your your attitude should be different. Your attitude should be, oh, wait, wow, I've got another tool in my arsenal 
Not, mm-hmm. not, not let me find a way to shoehorn this in. It's no, you need, to, you need to shift your thinking and say, okay, how can I use this to drive interesting aspects and story elements? A lot of some of which Phil mentioned earlier. And by all means, be ready to roll with the PCs that come up with, um, you know, unique and, and creative uses for these, for these benefits, mm-hmm. you know, be ready to roll with that. And, and let them know, find a way to work, make it work, and they'll be thankful for it, and your story will go in amazing directions because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if they're designing their own place or base or ship or whatever, you know, they'll have a reason for picking each room or each type of room that, that, uh, that they're using. And from a GM standpoint, you can also look at that and say, okay, how can I use that specific element in in uh, in one of the adventures, or or just even just encounters, then you have to be entire adventures, just be you know significant encounters. Have you guys ever had a player who got really juiced and jonesed about doing floor plans and mapping their home? Not in a while, but I've had them. Um. Maybe it's my plate. Yeah, Sterling's raising his hand. He says, Very. "Oh, are you saying you Sterling are that? Are you that saying player. you are that player, Sterling?" <laughs> <laughs> um, except, I, except I'm usually the GM. So yes, yes. So that well, that means, that means you get to map everything. Um, yeah, then it's called then it's called like session planning. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I like it's I. It's called freelance employment. But okay, and and my my wife is one of these players, all right. And uh, the, the first time I ever encountered it with her, and also this was this was before we were married, and it was a weird insight into her mind. Is this is back in like three five D and D? There was a a, a feat that uh, like high level that let you, that let the player get their own keep. Do you guys remember this? Vaguely, yeah. Um, where there were, you know, where, where, you know, it was like, it was like you had to have leadership and it was all this other stuff. And eventually you could really get up there. And she did. And that combined with a gift from a king and she, she had her, she had her own keep and it became the party's base of operations. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that on graph paper, she mapped it out and she did iteration, iterations of design. And this is where it is. And this is how it looks. And then she came back to me with spreadsheets on productivity and income generation. Um, for her keep and fu- this is my wife, um, uh, but but you know if you have a player like that in the party, this is another one of those concrete benefits. Let them go nuts, let them let them have that enjoyment. It's one more avenue of enjoyment for the game. Let them one less thing you have to do. One less thing you got to do, and and let I mean, gosh, they're going to enjoy the living heck out of it. Um, and you know the other players might roll their eyes, but that player is having a ball, and it, it's great. Do it. Do it. So, okay. That's money for nothing. Um, you know, that money pit syndrome. What are some of the other pro-cons that we need to consider here that parties should consider and GM should consider? I'm not sure. Um... Well, do we want to talk about the cost of doing business? We can get into that. I, I, it makes sense to me. Um, you know, I, I own my own small business. My wife owns her own small business. Dave owns his own small business. And let me tell you, there's times it sucks. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, as far as like the suggestions for permanent uh, 
obligation costs. I would argue that if you own a business, especially um, that it has that permanent at minimum five point heck, maybe even 10, mm. um, even if the PCs do get it at game start, because business trends are fickle. What's hot one year might not be hot the next. And sometimes no matter what a business owner does, sometimes nothing works and the business flounders. Yeah. So, uh, don't be afraid to, to bump up that obligation, especially if you started at five points either, uh, GMs. Uh, introduce the occasional hard choice where doing the right thing is going to negatively affect the business. Yeah. You know, maybe you're about to get a shipment in of something that you need to keep your business going, but you find this community that really needs it more or the Rebel Alliance needs it more. And by giving it up, you're helping the Alliance or you're helping out this community survive, but you're, you're, you're not going to make rent next month or you're not going to make payroll, you know? So, and I, back to your earlier comment about forced obligation where it's almost like a perma obligation. Sure. That may seem harsh, but I don't know a small business owner who does not worry about their business constantly. Even right. e- even if it's in the back of their mind, and if it's all they do for a living, it should they 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 do worry about it constantly. And if you're going to bring something like that into the game world into mechanics, that's what a perma obligation of five represents, or ten for that matter. Yeah, it's you may a- you may be worrying about it all the time, and that's just kind of your low level, just the way things are. But when that obligation triggers, something happens. A shipment doesn't come in. Uh, an employee quits um business is low no one's coming in there's a new competing business that opens up that draws away your regular customers that's stressing you somebody was embezzling somebody was embezzling and the best part about that is you can trigger that off of obligations that aren't related to the business uh, yep. That could be triggered off of off of a loyalty obligation, uh, or 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 criminal, or anything else. Uh, you know, somebody f- finds out your past, or or if you have if you have a, if you have a an obligation related to somebody who who is interested in 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 hurting you in some way. That oh oh man, yeah, and they happen to work there. Oh yeah, that's embezzlement. That's great. Um, now the other the other side of this, I'd really like to get y'all's input on this because you guys have 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 obviously helped write these rules and and we've played with them um you know in a galaxy far far away businesses tend to be a little more varied uh but whenever i i i'd say i said i seem to find this problem online a lot a lot of players are saying you know well yeah i just don't know what to do i i don't i don't know what to do for my business um uh you know Places like bars and casinos, those are very familiar themes in Star Wars, and that's kind of what PCs tend to glom around, but I think mm-hmm. there's some other business types that can offer a, a huge opportunity for, for plot and for story. So what, what, what interesting things can we suggest? What other business types can we, can we entice uh, the listeners with? Pawn shops and antiquity dealers. Those places are almost generating stories in and of their own. You you could almost have like a a, a oddity of the week as people come in uh, into the story trying to sell items that they have no clue what their actual worth or significance is. <clears throat> what, okay, building on that, what about a what about a what about a black shop? What about a uh, what about an illicit 
uh, pawnbroker, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. Functioning as a fence, basically. Criminals also bringing in stuff to, to sell stolen goods. You know, maybe you're you're tied in that way. And it's not like you're, you're suddenly making all these cash, um, you know, all this cash income off of these items that get dropped in your lap because you probably have a stock that you're buying stuff from, you know? So... Again, the money you get per month from the business is just the profits. Everything else is, has to go back into the, uh, the, 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 the business. You might get 100,000 credits from a sale, but you then have to turn around and spend 99,000 of that on just stock or delivery fees or, or, or resale fees or whatnot. Okay, well, so speaking of stock, um, I really like this suggestion. Um, car dealership. <laughs> Um, ser- <laughs> seriously, you, a used vehicle lot, um, speeders, starships, uh, you know, whether they're land speeders, air speeders, or, or, or flat out starships, um, that could be a really solid business choice. And you can, and, and it also gives the opportunity for the players to say, oh yeah, we, we own this lot, so we can get a starship, we can get an alternate speeder, we can like, you know, borrow this, basically the equivalent of a Star Wars Lexus to drive to this high class uh, party in for this particular mission. But remember that that's your business stock. <laughs> <laughs> you break it, you might not be able to sell it, possibly incurring additional obligation. You could even go so far as to say, okay, you guys can do that, but your income is going to be reduced. Oh, like a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it just, you know, narratively at the end of the session, it's like, God, yeah, you, you come, you, you, you drive the Lexus back in. It's like, guys, we had a buyer here. They saw the ad. They were looking for the Lexus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang. Guess we're not getting our 500 credits this month. <clears throat> what, else? what else we got? What else we got? Any other, any other interesting business ideas? That you've seen or, or or have come up with, Mr. Hershey? Oh, let's see. Um, for not for players, yeah. um, you know, a lot of times, I guess not not that many. Um, I mean, because a lot of times they get tied into a starship, um, yeah. some sort of starship business. Um, the interesting things about the uh, the, the used. Uh, the used uh, spaceship lot idea is that you also don't know where the ships are coming from necessarily. <laughs> Just because somebody's Ooh. selling it to you doesn't mean that they owned it. Um, That's a and, really great fire spray. Highly modified. <laughs> where did you get that? Don't ask. Uh, by the way, boss, we have a Mr. Fett on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I need to talk to you about my ship. Um this is good. You know, also in a related fashion to the comment you just made, Sterling. Yep. Uh, another great business option is a scrapyard, um, or or yes. or mechanic, uh, with the same with the same inherent problems. <laughs> um, you know, you you don't know where this came from. I mean, there, that's like plot hook city. You could you could be you could be processing a scrapped uh, 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 ship that was you know found floating in space you know with riddled with blaster holes and in its hold you find some smuggled cargo that was very well concealed and then maybe later somebody comes looking for that cargo um or maybe some intel or 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 secrets that were being smuggled um 
maybe you maybe you find a stasis tank with a living refugee or political prisoner in it. Someone bound in carbonite. Mmm. These are very or very interesting ideas. Someone forgot to uh, mem- wipe that droid's memory. Uh, oh yes, yes. Secrets in the droid. Um, very interesting. Or or maybe maybe in the starship's computer. Um. And maybe it has a sassy attitude and and a penchant for droids' rights. Um, <laughs> uh, Can I get you anything? Freedom of choice. Freedom of yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, Phil, we were talking about this earlier. Speaking of solo, uh, you had an interesting suggestion too. Yeah, uh, independent refinery. Uh, they they you know at the end of solo they they bring the unrefined coaxium to this independent refinery on that planet. Um, you could be something like that where you know a mine is kind of stated in the books to be the realm of a homestead, but a refinery folks bring the un the raw unprocessed ore to your refinery. You refine it and then you sell the refiner refined materials on the commodities market. Very is very interesting. Um, we had some very interesting suggestions come through in chat as well. Uh, a medical, we did, we did. a medical clinic, um, uh-huh. which I think is, is, is fantastic. Um, and also, a great it also provides a really direct, uh, upgrade path for the, for, for, for the, uh, the, the specifics of the asset as well in terms of the well, special, like- the special features you're adding and installing. Um, one that come, came up multiple times in the live stream from our listeners uh, and those watching live was some variation of a delivery service or a courier service. Yep, I've actually used one. that one before. Um, yeah, for the uh, the, Rebe- the Rebellion Day adventure that I did uh, for Fancy Flight, um, they the uh, rebels in, have a contact at a at a warehouse that supplies, in this case, the uh, prison they're trying to break into, um, but. And therefore, has you know already has contracts where they can de- get through the security gates to deliver the goods. The laundry truck, essentially. <laughs> very, very interesting. Okay, let me borrow a cue from Daredevil. Um, what if these guys are lawyers? What if they're bar- oh. what 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 if what if the business is a barrister's office? Okay, um, or you know, uh, attorneys in space and. You got maybe one PC who's the front man, and he's the brain of the group and has the appropriate knowledge skills and the appropriate social skills and is his top-notch attorney. Um, and there's a lot of fun you could have with that character. But then on the back end, those cases that can't be won, those wrongs that can't be righted through the legal system, you, <laughs> you've got a party of hard-nosed vigilantes who are there to go go daredevil on somebody and take care of business. Yes. You could you could you could have an entire campaign structure built around that business. That is yes. that's an interesting option. I like that. That's hot. <sighs> that's me, Phil. I'm hot. That's awesome. <laughs> so okay, we've we've talked about a lot of uh interesting business options out there. Um, and yep. there's there's really no limit to what you can do. Uh, you can transfer it to Star Wars pretty quickly and easily. Um, we've talked about you know what those business options are. We've talked about the, the the cost of doing business that can arrive from them. But we have yet to talk about probably the biggest cost of one of these assets. 
And it applies to all of them. It applies to businesses, definitely, but it would also apply to a homestead. It would also, I'm sorry, apply to a cap ship or a base as well. And uh, that is the... Are you talking uh, about one of the universal inevitabilities? Yes. There are two of them, folks. Death and taxes. 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 Any real estate or property owned by the PCs is going to be taxed as long as someone claims it's within their territory. Homesteads, even ones on asteroids or in deep space, are likely to be taxed by the Empire or any reasonable power able to enforce it. They'll just show up and say, you're in our territory, but this is deep space. Yeah, it's our deep space. Uh, businesses are almost always going to be taxed, especially if the PCs are doing anything that needs annual licensing, like foods or casinos or weapon shops or, you know, yep. anything where there's a liability that requires a taxation or that the government thinks that they could tax and and get away with. I mean, even even uh, even rebel bases are going to get taxed. <laughs> uh, I can just imagine some uh, some tax collector showing up, knocking on Echo Base's door. Yeah, okay. Well, so not certainly not Hoth, but but that's that's the <laughs> exception base, right? I mean, most bases are you know they're safe houses that are in the guise of a residence or a business, and that front is going to be contacted by the government for their annual taxes. It, and once again, we're back to shuffling the tax collector around while <laughs> hidden shit's going on in the background. And the Benny Hinn music is playing. <laughs> oh, oh, even better. The or well, maybe not better, but uh, the appraiser shows up. Huh? Looks like you've added on a few things since oh. we were here last. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Is that a landing pad? Is that a landing pad? Do you oh, have a perfect for that? <laughs> I was gonna say at least ten grand. Yes, yes, yes. You 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 got you got a permit for that? Those foundations don't look stable. Uh, yeah. Or or, or, or did you get? Did you pull permits when you put in this carbon freeze chamber? Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> um Yeah, this is this is great. I mean, these 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 can offer a variety of of threatening or humorous storylines. Um I mean, tax collectors come, they come at bad times, uh settle up, inspect the property. Um there's that th- that's that's an inevitability that for for any one of these assets a GM should keep in the back of their mind. And even if you're talking about something like a cap ship um or or a huge huge uh, a space station or a huge ginormous freighter or something like that, you got registration to deal with. You have taxes and tolls that you're going to have to deal with. And the space DMV wants their cut. The space DMV wants the the man is going to get his cut. It doesn't matter where who the man is, and no matter or where, if it's even man, if it's even man, okay. In <laughs> in Star Wars, there is always the man. It doesn't matter where you go in the galaxy, whether it's the Empire, whether it's the corporate sector authority, whether it's the huts, whether okay, whether it's whether whether it's Black Sun, it doesn't matter. The, the man exists, and the man wants his cut, no matter where you are in the galaxy. Or what it is. Or what it is. And let's get even more interesting. Let's say you start traveling through the galaxy, like you, like if you have a cap ship. Oh, that's fantastic. I see your Imperial registration. You do not have a hut registration. There's a different man for every section of the galaxy. For, for every section of the galaxy. And you, you, he's a slug. He's a yes. <laughs> the slug, not the man. The slug, the slug, the slug needs his cut, and it's like congratulations, you've uh, docked at Nalhuda. That's that's wonderful. I see that you are, uh, do not have a a hut system registration, um, based on your your empty carry weight and tonnage. That's going to be twelve thousand credits. 
Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't leave. <laughs> you can, you come back and your ship has one of those orange uh, clamps around the thruster, you know. <laughs> like you This have, is a disgrace. I need to talk to somebody about this. <laughs> oh. Yes. And so. It's only going to cost you 5% for uh, your friend, your, your new slicer, uh, skullduggerous friend to take it off your ship. <laughs> so It's not fair. I don't like it, but I accept it. But I accept it. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's, uh. let's touch on one of the big things that we had uh, talked about very briefly at the beginning of, of this episode and this meet, which is getting tied down. Um, ah, you know we've ah, yes. we we've been we've been giving listen we've been giving the listeners to this point a lot of really great ideas and funny stories and humorous and serious potential consequences and pitfalls and concerns and benefits for having this kind of asset, but we have danced around this issue of getting tied down. Um, you know it. And you made that comment earlier, Phil. I said, you know, may- maybe you do have the campaign around the whole the whole asset. Who who knows? I mean, is it it maybe it's a natural tendency. To, to tie the game in with the, the homestead or the business or the base. I mean, and, and that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are a lot of examples of that, actually. Um, it, I mean, out, outside of Star Wars, uh, where, I mean, dozens and dozens where, where plot happens at the main character's place of business. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the f- most famous ones that leap to mind is like Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5. But if you even drift outside the the science fiction space uh, dramas, you know, Casablanca, Uh, Warehouse 13, Cheers, Roadhouse, you know? (laughs) Roadhouse. (laughs) Be nice until it's time to not be be nice. nice. I want you. Those are all all media examples where something happens at a, a place, a featured location throughout the the media there's a term for that uh start the star trek writers coined it um uh yeah ship in a bottle ship in a bottle ship in the bottle episodes where everything happens on board the station or the ship uh babylon 5 had many of those where well it's five miles long so it, it you know has a lot of space to work in but entire episodes happened in completely within babylon 5 there was no you know no traveling off the station um, and, and in the case where PCs choose a homestead or a business or even a base at the beginning of the campaign, they may not have the means to leave their asset. Plot may have to come to them until, unless they can acquire transport of some sort, be it their own transport or arrange it with the plot line that comes and shows up and does business with them. See, this is a, this is a critical point for every GM. If if you have if, if if your players have one of these assets and it's not a cap ship and they're tied to it, you have two choices in any adventure. Okay, no matter what you're writing or what the situation is, either the players go to the plot or the plot comes to the players. And even without being tied down, I've always found my most engaging stories that my players have responded to is when the plot comes to them, uh, mm-hmm. whether whether they want it or not, basically. And you can leverage that very strongly here. Exactly. Um, this whole ship in a bottle concept um, may work best for homesteads and specifically space stations that get a lot of traffic. You know, travelers coming through location, bringing their stories and their problems with them that the players then have to deal with. 
Um, PCs might go away from the homestead on short jaunts, but those will be plotline specific situations and everyone will still come back to the homestead by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, now there is a situation that could develop. Um, I kind of called it here in the show notes, defiant stars. I suppose I could expand that to white defiant stars. Because <laughs> uh, in the case of Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine, the storyline evolved to a point where the characters needed to be off station for extended periods. And the, those writers introduced a large transport ship to facilitate that. Um, there may come a time where you as a GM might need to do something similar in the host- Homestead campaign. And that's okay. But be careful not to let the game go into a more away from home direction. Unless that's where your PCs want it to go. Mm, well said. If they make plot choices to take the story that way, that's different. But don't, like I say, you know, don't keep having them go off station. Because even though, even after the Deep Space Nine crew got the Defiant, there are still plenty of episodes that just happened on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or after Buck Rogers got the Searcher. Oh! oh God, man. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent example. Yes. Yeah, but Rogers. Wow. Yep. A whole show that needed to go in a slightly different direction, apparently. No kidding. No kidding. I forgot about that. Excellent example. Um, you know, but but the key thing here in the takeaway, guys, is is it's okay to have ship in a bottle. But and this goes back to Sterling, I think the point you made earlier, you've got to get a read on your party when you have an asset like this. And I think cap ships are a different story, and we're actually going to talk about that next. But when you're talking sure. about when you're talking about a, a homestead or a base or a business, I mean something that is is immobile, you've got to you've got to get a read on your party about about how they want to interact with it and why they ultimately want to have it. If they just want to have a place to put their crap. <laughs> And they're not they're not interested in the plot coming to them and they want to go to the plot. You need to understand that appropriately Um, if they're really invested in or are becoming invested in their immobile asset, then you got to be prepared when you're writing your games to bring the plot to them. Actually, a really good example is uh, Star Wars Rebels. Lothal. Lothal. Yes. Gosh. The 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 vast majority, at least at least the first couple seasons, the vast majority, uh, they didn't leave Lothal, or at least the system. They didn't leave the system, okay. Um, uh, with the with the exception of a few occasional episodes. So yeah, they kept coming back to uh, to Joe's shop, mm-hmm. uh, Joe's uh, cantina. Yep, a uh, bunch of work there, uh, Jeff. Hyde in uh, chat mentions Firefly. I wouldn't put Firefly into this. Firefly is really the atypical Edge of the Empire campaign where the PCs live on a transport ship. Well, okay, then let's talk about that because that's the other thing is exploring the final frontier to carry on your Star Wars, your Star Trek metaphor. Um, uh, Because because when you talk about cap ships, that is as, as that base of operations, that is the Firefly scenario. At, at that, at that's that, fair. At, that's fair. At that point, the plot doesn't need to come to them. They can go to the plot, uh, right? Even, even even if it all centers around that ship, the locations and the and the 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 threats and the 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 meta locales can continuously change. So true. Let, let's talk, let's talk about that, dude. So your PCs get a hold of a cap ship. Maybe they stole it. Maybe they captured it from an enemy crew. Maybe 
your GM screwed up and and burned your homestead to the ground and decided to <laughs> let you steal one the very next session. Maybe that happened to you. Um, maybe. Uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe you were assigned one by the alliance, or, or you have a powerful or mysterious, uh, uh, conspicuously powerful and unknown benefactor. Um, you know, which which uh, uh, could be the case. Uh, you know, if, if that's your standard base of operations, or if your your GM is giving you a white star or a defiant to get you away from home from time to time. Um, let's let's talk about this because this is a this is a whole different ball of wax for the party and the GM. Absolutely. Um, because capital ships, and we're talking about ones that are bigger than Silhouette 4. So Correct. Most Silhouette 5 ships and bigger. Uh, most of those ships are going to require a crew larger than your PC base. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some ships out there that are Silhouette 5 that do have a minimal crew requirement, but most of them you're talking dozens, if not hundreds in some cases. Uh, it's not, and, and piloting these capital ships is a huge undertaking. It's not as simple as one person steering. Uh, ships of considerable size need someone watching the secondary systems, navigating hazards, maintaining engine and power systems, life support, communications, weapons, maintenance. It's a huge undertaking. So, from a mechanical standpoint, how do GMs handle using and allowing PCs to manage these craft? especially if they captured or stole it and don't have the required minimum or the required recommended crew complements. Yeah, that's going to be my next question because if you if you're trying to navigate something like this, one can you should you let them if they don't have the minimum crew. And if they don't have the minimum crew, what does that look like? I mean, what does it what does that mean for them mechanically if you decide to let them do it? Well, fortunately, the the system ha- has some wonderful things that we can throw in called setback dice. Huzzah. These environmentally affecting negative dice that come into play anytime the situation isn't ideal, such as you have only a percentage of the recommended crew size. So how would you break that down? What, what does that look like? Setback per what percentage of crew missing? Well, I put a lot of thought into this. And this is actually this this specific situation is kind of where I came up with the whole idea for this particular episode. Because uh, someone was asking my PC has got a hold of a Raider 2 Corvette. What do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, Raider 2 Corvette has about 60 or 70 crew size minimum. Uh, so what I, what I kind of thought about and suggested to this individual was as a guideline, all skill checks on board a ship should incur additional setback dice when they're used for, for ship things. I mean, if you're like doing a medical check on someone in the ship, I wouldn't necessarily do this. Right, right. You're trying to fix it for No, you're trying to charm somebody. No, I mean like you're trying to fix the ship. You're trying to navigate hazard. You're trying to plot astrogation course. Fire weapons. Right. If you have less than a hundred percent of the crew, but you have at least 75% of the crew add a setback die onto all checks. If it's between 75 and 50% of the crew, two setback dice. 50 to 25% of the crew, three setback dice. And if you have less than a quarter of the recommended crew size, whopping four setback dice on any skill check that involves that ship. That's solid, man. That's solid. And I'm sorry to bring this back to the player's perspective. Um, The pilot with knack for it 
Um, this is one he more. He might be fine. He he. That, but that's one more awesome use of that talent. Yeah, and and especially that I'm thinking about that and Gearhead. You know, if you take certain trees in gear in, in, in like when you're building a technician or a mechanic, there are some trees that if you take the right combination of trees, you just you just end up with three or four ranks of, of gearhead. Yep. And you're like, when am I go ever going to encounter something where I'm trying to get rid of four setback dice? Here you go. Here you go. This 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 is it. Um and you know, such characters can even have a storied place, especially in terms of like uh uh, going back to the pilot example, if you have a pilot who happens to have that, it's like, okay, we're, we're a crew who's going to steal a cap ship, but we need somebody who can fly it when there's only six of us on board. Yep. We need a hot shot pilot. We need a hot shot. Yep. Yep. And, and, and that's, that's, that's where that PC raises their hand. You could build an entire campaign around that. Um, yep. <clears throat> So now GMs could also upgrade the difficulty of certain checks when a ship has less than its full complement on board, uh, such as checks made to repair a ship or navigate it through hazardous terrain. Um, that could apply too because you just don't have the right number of people on sensors, navigations, you know, giant engine components that are the size of houses. Um, you just don't physically have enough people to get on to repairing it all at once. So that adds an extra uh, degree of difficulty that upgrading a check can can uh, add to. And it's not just that you don't have enough crew. It's that because you don't have enough crew, this is an even more dangerous undertaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I would say is that for attacks made with ship weapons, I would sort of cap off the setback penalties at like one, maybe two dice. Because combat is already filled with causes to add negative dice to combat checks. I mean, and also, plus the ship is likely penalized enough by not having enough gunners for all the weapons on board. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um... It, it, by at that point, having four setback dice because you have less than a quarter of the uh, the crewmen, it's just kind of adding insult to injury. You know, it's already the fact that you don't have enough people to man the guns. Just keep them that, you know, maybe have one or two because there's no one, one or two setbacks because there's no one uh, modulating the power and distributing power correctly across the ship. Mm -hmm. But don't layer on four. Yeah. They're already going to have them added in because of like defense and crap like that. We have a good suggestion in chat that is, you know, not something necessarily easy to accomplish, but something that is feasible with enough credits. Yeah. Get a droid crew. That works. That works. Ship complement is just bodies. They can be organic. They can be inorganic. Yeah. If you've got enough astromech droids to take up 20% of the crew, that's 20% of the crew that you probably don't have to issue a paycheck for. I droid rights! <laughs> droid rights. Completely agree. I don't know. I mean, like, uh, Sterling, I mean, I I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, especially, I mean, when somebody, when they, when they get a hold of a cap ship that they can't handle on their own. I mean, what other what other thoughts or ideas or concerns can can you provide us from your experience? Uh, well, the yeah, that droid crew idea was something I'd been thinking about. But uh, the you know the other things they could do. I mean, they could always try to upgrade certain systems to be more automated. Mm -hmm. uh, give the engineers something to do as well. Um, they could um, figure out ways to. 
um, maybe they can shut down certain parts of the ship that they don't need. You know, do they need it? Do they really need an entire wing of staterooms that they're not using? That's maybe not the best example, but or do they have a secondary bay that they don't need to worry about? Is there some way? Are there ways they can simplify their systems to make them you know, easier to use? Um, yeah. That's that. See, that's an interesting suggestion, and that could be. Uh, God, what what a great use for a technician on the party too. I mean, things for them to set up. You could do an entire skill challenge based around that. And and once you've got it set up, you have an instant and immediate way also to spend thread and despair, which oh, is yeah. which is that those things start to go haywire. Yeah. Um, see it, see uh, Star Trek three. <laughs> do I have to though? Do I? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, the the uh, yeah, see Star Trek three. That's an excellent. Excellent suggestion. Um, a very good example. Um, so, okay, that's... With cap ships, that's the idea of minimum crew. Okay, and that's that's a, that's one object of it, one aspect of it. But, Phil, we come back to obligation. Yep. Minimum obligation. I mean, what, even, even more so than homesteads and businesses, I think owning your own capital ship... And, and again, building off what you just said, Sterling, especially if these things are going to start breaking. I mean, it's, it's going to cause it's going to cause headaches more than anything else we've discussed. That's I mean, this is a this is a floating tin can that's keeping you alive. The opportunities for uh, constant maintenance and are, are just you could literally run out of air. You could literally run literally out of air. run out of air and die. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. Who forgot to refill the tanks at the last station? I mean, God damn it, people! Oh man, we forgot. We we decided not to not to pay the the restocking fee at the last station. Oh wait, it was the last three stations, wasn't it? <laughs> we can we can we can make it one one more station. We can make it one more station. Uh, speaking of Firefly, they had an awesome episode that was I, I think it was called Out of Out of Gas. Oh God! Yes. Um, where literally you're you're stuck. I mean, that could be an entire session where you're stuck on the ship struggling to survive, you know, running out of air. And can you imagine every every round or every hour you're at just piling more and more setback dice onto them. They're strain they're taking strain damage and just struggling to try and survive. It's even better if they're in that situation due to their own screw ups. Yes. <laughs> I mean it's one thing if you just kind of impose it on them because it's a fun fun sounding story, but it's another altogether if if the decisions that they made led to that that point, you did this to yourself. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, you take the wear and tear on your car and you add it to the wear and tear on your house, then multiply that by ten, and you've got a general idea of the minimum stress you may encounter owning such a starship. I mean, God, you got to keep it clean. I mean. Uh, refreshers get clogged. Um, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you don't keep things clean or have a droid complement to keep it clean. You got air filtration problems that are going to accrue. I mean, something as simple as changing the air filters on a capital ship. How, how many air filtration units do you think there are? Hundreds. More, maybe. Maybe. Uh, um. And they're in really inaccessible locations. I mean, that's, God. Um, 
And so when you take all this into account, what would we recommend? I mean, when, when a, I mean, we, we talked about like a, a perma five or perma 10 obligation when you're talking about a static asset, you know, like mm-hmm. a homestead or a business. But when they require a starship that needs a crew larger than their party, substantially larger than their party, what do we recommend as a base obligation for that vehicle? So this was the other, and this was the other side of that coin that that I came up with for the the gentleman who had a party that captured a raider too. Um, take the obligation, take the ship, <clears throat> and assign it a base obligation of twenty five. Okay, that's a lot. Start there. Okay. Now, take the number of crew required for that ship and divide it by twenty. So you now know now you now know what. 5% of the crew is. The exact number of beings that represent 5% of the crew. Okay. Reduce that 25-point obligation by one for every 5% of the crew you have. Okay. So you got 50% of the crew, obligation drops to 15. You got 100% of the crew, you have an obligation of five. Obligation drops to five. Mm. That means you'll never be able to get rid of that last five obligation. And if something happens to the crew, be it death, loss of employment you know, uh, disabled disability due to disease, that obligation could go up by a point or two. Now, in this stead, GMs may allow for a handful of personnel to be missing from the ship's complement before applying the increased obligation and setback, depending on the size of the crew. I mean, losing three people on a ship that needs 60 could be crucial, but losing three people on a ship that needs 1,200 might barely be noticed. And if obligation is rolled when it's tied to the ship, it should be something related to the ship. Something breaks down. Some resource is needed soon to keep systems operational. You need air. <laughs> you need to restock those commodities, you know? Yeah. There's there's so, so much that can go wrong. So have you talked about how, how to spread the obligation amongst the party members? No. You could do it that way. You could do it that way. I mean, the the obligation rules, unless I'm misremembering and and in coming up with it, on, you know, just on a whim, which I don't think I am, uh, it's considered a group obligation. So when it triggers, everybody gets the two point hit. Because hmm. I think I think um, homesteads are the same way. <clears throat> you could split it up. You could st- you you could you and, and you can do that. But I, I, I think it's an interesting suggestion of splitting it up, and especially if you're Yeah, because the more I'm thinking about it, that is a lot more interesting, isn't it? It's a lot more interesting because people are going to get stressed about certain things, okay? Your um, engineer is going to freak out because something – and it also, by doing it that way, it ties it in more to what specific system breaks down. Exactly. Exactly. You know, your, 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 your combat-heavy PCs or your gunners are going to freak out over weapons array malfunctions or guidance systems. Uh, your your pilot's gonna freak out over uh, navigation, um, you know, uh, computer issues or general whole ship stress, and your engineer, your mechanic is gonna freak out over you know the engines. Um, leaders could leadership uh, leader types could freak out over like internal communications mm-hmm. issues or sensor issues being down, external communications, um, more. Thievy types could be stressed out by like personnel issues that's you know causing you know all kinds of internal strife uh, and you know making just the like you know because 
most thieves tend to be something either of introverts or kind of deceptive social people who just kind of like to like go cruise through life really easy. And when the ship's crew is at each other's nerves, it creates this air of hostility aboard the ship that they can't cope with. Mm-hmm. Or just, well, yeah, no, Sterling, I like that. That's cool. And if the, the ship is a, a rebel ship that's part of a rebel fleet, they've got commanding, you know, higher, higher ranking officials, even if it's their ship, technically, because they brought it along to the Rebel Alliance. They still got yep. people giving yep. them orders. And now, oh, oh, my gosh, they want us to take this ship on a near suicide mission. Do we really want to go on that? It's our own ship. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's that's cool. It's a very it's a very interesting suggestion, and I I think there's a lot I think it's got a lot of legs. Um, so going back to something that you mentioned, Chris, um, we've talked a lot about obligation. Just kind of like you know calling an audible and just kind of like spinning ideas and 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 brainstorming. How does duty fit into it? How does morality fit into it? Man. I think I mean duty, duty I can kind of see in the sense of you could earn a lot of duty and a lot of commendation ranks with your ship if you're willing to sign it over to the alliance. But by doing that, you're giving up autonomy. At that point, it comes down to what you use the asset for. This can also play into the kind of upgrades you give the asset. Um, you know, so let's talk about like like a homestead then. Okay, so space station space station's easy. <clears throat> space station's easy. A cap ship's easy. Um, something like a homestead. Um, there's a lot of ways you could do it for duty. You know, I think of uh, okay. So there's there's simple stuff like um, where you give. Okay, what do you do with the revenue? What do you do with revenue? Oh, sure. Okay. And if you if you if you're funneling that back to the Rebel Alliance, that's an easy way to achieve certain duties. Then you get into some more interesting stuff. When you get into duties like personnel, um uh, I'm sorry, giving day jobs to uh giving day jobs to rebels and insurgents. Lovers. Okay. Um is, is a great Cover way to, is, uh, is a great way to achieve that. Um, depending on what your business is, if, especially if you have something like a courier service um, or mm. a delivery service, um, uh, obviously uh, intelligence and counterintelligence duties uh, can can seriously be impacted there. Um, gosh, what other uh, what other ideas for duty, guys? You're looking, uh, you're, businesses you're, are kind of easy. Businesses, businesses are, yeah. you could acquire, or you know, if you're that. Um, scrapyard junkyard person you get ship parts you know the alliance needs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you salvage them and send them along um kind of same thing with the used car lot um casinos and bars are perfect meetup points for for agents for clandestine meetings all those allow for an opportunity for that well and going back to sort of duty as, as threshold. You know, one of the examples they put in the book is um, an alliance leader could refuse to associate with a group with a, a low duty score. So you might have a good ship, but if your duty score isn't, uh, doesn't inspire confidence, <laughs> then uh, 
that they might not want you along in their little in their fleet or at least or detachment or mission or whatever. Yeah, this is a very good point. Might give you might give you motivation to one improve your duty score, but also maybe improve your ship to uh, make it more uh, attractive Appeal. to certain Appealing missions. Appealing <laughs> to certain missions. Yes, yeah, it's very very interesting. So they can spend I got, a lot of money see- upgrading it, and then they can lose it all when it gets blown up on the mission. Yep. <laughs> I can also see like a situation where that person who steals, who stole that uh, that Raider Two Corvette, where the Alliance could come up to where they they could like offer their services to the Alliance. The Alliance could go, no, we don't have any idea who you are, but we like your ship. We could take that if you want. We have a crew who can who can operate it. Just we have a, we have rebels who can operate that. So. We'll take the ship, but we don't want you. Yeah. You, you've done nothing for us, and we don't trust you with our inter, inter-fleet operations. You know, that could easily be happening. Uh, those, are very, those are very good suggestions. Now, when it comes to morality, that's, a, that's, that's, that's not even apples to oranges. That's apples to a bag of cats. Um, <laughs> uh, mor- morality is so radically different in terms of how it impacts gameplay. There, there's really no one-to-one mechanical p- comparison like you can do. The, no. the, the, be- the, the What comes to mind, though, how, how I would bring morality in if we had a morality trigger is almost everything we've talked about in this episode in terms of the potential pros and cons of running a business or having a homestead or having a base or having a cap ship with a big crew on it, you've got personalities, NPCs, disparate issues, different conflicts. You've got headaches coming in where you've got third-party people, whether those are tax collectors or inspectors or competitive uh, business interests or thugs or enforcers, anyone who's coming to you needing something and wanting something. When you have that morality conflict come into play, it comes. It should be coming into play primarily in those interpersonal interactions. It's it, yeah. it's gonna make things harder. Okay, it means that your you know your 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 pride is not gonna let you is is not gonna let you kowtow to the the imperial bureaucrat who's coming to inspect you. All right. It means that you know, and, and maybe maybe that ultimately you have an emotional outburst, and that leads to your business getting shut down. Or you getting that that Arabesh, uh health hazard warning sticker put on the front of your restaurant. So, you know, ah, no, we can't serve anymore. Maybe it means that you don't pay off the, uh, the enforcers who come looking for a cut. Or maybe your fear takes hold, and you do, because you don't want to cause a scene. You don't want anyone to get hurt. And now you've tacitly enforced this expectation that they're going to continually expect this, uh, you know, going yeah. forward and going forward. Um, another aspect too, if you have especially a homestead, um, that is producing a good, uh, we, one of the things I think it was you, Phil brought up earlier was the idea of what are you going to do with that good? And can it be given to, you know, uh, one of those inherent conflicts like, okay, wow, I can sell this to make money, but gosh, there's this group that really needs this. Okay. Like, especially something like medicine or medical care, or, you know, if, if we have rebel sympathies, you know, gosh, we've just mined this to ban a gas and the rebel and the Alliance really needs it. You know, can I give it up? A morality conflict can put that choice into clear and sharp focus as a major point of the session. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you sit there and say, okay, yeah, you can keep those medical supplies. You can you can keep them and, and or sell them, or you can sell keep that vehicle on the lot and sell it, or you can you know keep those food stores that you need so that you've got enough for your restaurant. 
Um, but doing so and ignoring the plight of these people is a four or five conflict hit. But your business succeeds. You don't make any extra money. Your business just stays afloat. Yeah. And I'm that's that's life, man. That's that's some real decisions that happen out there. Um, there are things that people do and make those choices. You know, Gregory's in chat, you know, overlook a customer's costs out of charity. Okay. You know, uh, a major morality decision. Okay. I, I decide not to take the conflict and I decide to give it to him, but my business takes a major hit. Yep. Maybe, maybe it doesn't survive. Yep. But it was the right thing to do. That's and that and to be fair, that's the morality in the conflict system. That's it to a T. So we also had I, I really wanted to get to this. Today we got in a call-in question emailed to me uh from a fellow who's actually in chat right now, Droid Dreamer. Um, and he brought up some interesting points um uh regarding uh this particular show topic because obviously he, he knew what it was so i'm gonna play that for you right now this is droid dreamer and i never listen to the order 66 podcast but i do want to make a plug for mobile bases with some gear droids and talents the party can build and assemble facilities on the go modular base structures allow quick construction of barracks hangars motor pools and command centers in only two hours each the improvised sapper talent lets a PC build a secure position for the entire party and its vehicles in only 12 hours. And lastly, my favorite, the IC4A combat construction droid from Fully Operational. It can manufacture crude structures that provide cover for up to 20 people. You have to imagine a Silhouette 3 droid fabricating parts from its fiery fusion furnace, clearing land, erecting structures, all while muttering uh, to itself in guttural binary. With these tools and the right ship or ships, the party can take their creature comforts on the go, quickly build covert fortifications, and dismantle and move their base of operations should the heat get a little too hot. Thoughts on this? Sterling, I'll let you go first. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, since I've actually done a couple of these. Um, Figured you had. <laughs> well, I've done the I've done an Imperial mobile mobile base in I think Saga, and uh, for the Rebels um, <clears throat> back in my Hideouts and Strongholds book, um, basically had a a base where there were these modular units that <clears throat> I'd stuck them inside of a of a glacier, sort of a mini Hoth kind of thing. But basically, they could pack them up into self-contained units and just move them around. You know, load, load them up on the starship, move it to the next place. And, and unload them kind of like, I don't know, like mobile home units or something. Sure. Um, but uh, let's see. I like it. I, I think that's a solid idea, um, especially in the sense of a homestead. You know, you think about what homesteads could be. Uh, homesteads could be ranches, and that just basically means that you know the the land your 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 herd has has sustained on is is gone. Or it's, it's diminished and you need to go find a new place. You know, it allows you to up and move like that. Mining operations could operate the same way. They mine a place for a little while, then they move on. Um, I don't think it would really work in the case of a, of a space station because you would need a way to move that station. <clears throat> and at that point, it's a capital ship. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But I like the idea of like a business where it's like a carnival. Oh, great idea. Great idea for a business. Traveling carnival. 
Um, yep. I mean, and obviously, if you talk about it like a base, like an actual base, like Rebel Base, I mean, that, that obviously fits into this narrative. But yeah, you could expand it into a lot of other things. Um, and, you know, I, I, so for a business, the idea of a traveling carnival is brilliant. Um, even a lot of the things we've mentioned, I'm sorry, a traveling clinic. Um, yeah. You set up shop, and then you set up shop uh, amongst uh, uh, colonial settlements, and you move like every few weeks. A traveling refinery, a traveling junk dealer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's like okay, yeah. So so you guys are mining. Well, the refinery comes to you. I mean, it's it's almost like that. Well, refinery's coming in next week. We better have the shipment ready. I mean, right. Uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of options for this. Really good suggestion, Droid Dreamer. Um, I, and, and I like, I like the things he suggests too, because it's a mixture of not only certain, uh, party talents, um, which we haven't even talked about the sapper. That's, that's a phenomenally weird and awesome, uh, uh, spec. Um, so it's a mixture of party talents along with obviously modular based structures, but also droid usage. It's hella expensive, but if you can get the IC4A, um, that's a, it's, it's a very unique and interesting use for a droid that was really designed to be a, a combat engineer. Um, yeah. so yeah, very interesting suggestions. Very interesting. Sand crawler. A sand crawler. Duh. Duh. Oh God. We're rolling my eyes so hard over here. Duh. That's, <laughs> Hey, look boss. It's a mobile business. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sterling. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> of course, a sand crawler. And, uh, yeah, uh, since I have an adventure that, that features this, a sand crawler, the sand crawler gambit, where they actually are using a sand crawler to get from one place to another, it can be a, that can be a lot of fun. Uh, just because, number one, everyone knows what that looks like. Um, and you, so everyone can picture it. And they sort of know what goes on around it, even if you swat, switch it switch it up some way. Um, and it's yeah, it could be very entertaining because you know, just on Tatooine, you can go to Jabba's Palace, you can go to Mos Eisley, you can go to. Um, it takes a long time to get anywhere, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, don't be in a hurry. But uh, yeah, it could be fun. There you go. Oh hey, and look, another starship. When did this thing crash? Oh, 20 years ago. Cool. Is that a battle droid? Oh, crap. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's still working? Or a bunch of y'all was finding a bunch of battle droids. That'd be hilarious. Oh, God. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like a great right. one shot, actually. Have some sort of uh, uh, battle between the Jawas and the, and the droids. The Jawas can stun the droids, take them over. And then what do they do with them? Jawas with a operational set of battle droids? Oh. Well, our jaw was anywhere. <laughs> oh, we're that. gonna keep two. Oh man, that I'm 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 so I'm so God. This what a, what a great one shot this could be. Uh, totally great adventure. I mean, imagine the, the the party gets hired in to go uh, retrieve information from a downed Confederate ship that crashed on Tatooine, and they get there and they find it's already been stripped, and they find that it. You're, everything's gone and it, the first part of the module becomes an investigation to discover that it was stripped by a clan of Jawas 
And they also discover, you know, that there was an entire complement of deactivated and yet survived battle droids that the Jawas now have um, and have activated. And, dude, th- this could be a very fun adventure. And they've sold a bunch of them along the way. Like some moisture farm has like one of the droids that has the components that the information that they need. And that, and, and the final the final thing is like it's at Jabba's palace or some other palace. That uh, could be really fun. It could be really, Imper- really fun. Imperials decide to stop the stop the uh, the Jawas and the front of the sandcrawler drops open and uh, and two hundred battle droids run out the front like it's a like it's an amphibious assault. Roger, Roger, Roger. Roger. <laughs> I love it. Jeez. All right, guys. So we have talked a lot, and hopefully this um, this this uh, very good conversation I believe we've had. Um, about the various uses and methods for these different types of assets um, and things that players and GMC to think about has been has been beneficial to you Um, this was a really good suggestion thank you Phil for bringing it to our attention and really spearheading this because you know we're at the point now that we have these disparate systems out there and they're all flavored slightly differently and we've done different shows on each one but when it comes to bringing it all together the same generalized principles of how you're best going to utilize them in your game, make them impactful for your party, and workable and functional as a game master is really something I, I feel was really good to cover. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for this topic and the original suggestion that led us to it. And so I guess for closing, guys, I mean, and I'll ask this of the two of you, what are your final thoughts, advice, and tips on running with these assets in your games? Don't be afraid to let the game, at least for a little while, be a ship in a bottle. It can be a nice and fun, different kind of game to have a situation where the story comes to the PCs. And the PCs have to deal with what comes. And talk to your PCs to find out if this is a campaign that, again, even for a little while they might find fun and always check in with them and make sure that they are enjoying the story as it is being developed. Sterling final thoughts from you. Yeah. I was kind of thinking along the same lines. Um, I mean, it's uh, it can be very fun to have to center your campaign on a base, but one of the things about doing that, especially like a rebel base, um, eventually uh Either the base is just somewhere they go back to between adventures. Maybe they have a few of their adventures at that location, you know, expanding the base or searching for, uh, you know, crashed colleagues, you know, or another ship that crashes nearby, things like that. But um, if you're going to have like a rebel base, eventually either you're staging an attack from that base or the, or the Empire is coming to attack the base. So always keep in mind that when you have a location, uh, you kind of have this dichotomy of things that are happening there. What happens when somebody else shows when the enemy shows up? Um, you know, try and think through those things ahead of time a little, at least a little bit, uh, and make sure that that fits into the sort of stories you want to be telling. Uh, or, you know, it can that, that says the the base has to dominate the entire campaign. Maybe maybe it just is uh, uh, the focus for the first few adventures while they build it up, and then from then on they're just using it to stash their stuff and then maybe they come back to it if, if they if they uh, 
if you want to have a, a major encounter or if their rebel um, uh, career uh, takes a bad turn and suddenly uh, instead of you know advancing the alliance they're they're fighting a, a, a basically a losing battle and suddenly they've got to defend their base because that's all they have left I mean you think through some of these scenarios um, ahead of time to make sure that it's a, a direction that you're happy with and your players are happy with wisdom absolute wisdom so excellent show topic and excellent suggestion but now it is time to come to the end of this two hours of mirth <laughs> and go back to the real world um, it's, it was just staggering sterling uh, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us about this as, as usual it's always great to get uh, your your insight your feedback your input and your expertise and it's wonderful having you on the show thank you thanks it's been fun and uh, guys listeners gamer nation the journey through 2019 continues our next show will be in two weeks time Sunday February 10th and our topic of discussion will be a listener requested return to our specialization segment well isn't that special uh, with perhaps one of the more enigmatic, thematic, and unusual, seemingly contradictory, specs recently introduced in the Mystic career, The Prophet. We will be going through the ins and outs of The Prophet specialization, and we will cap it off, of course, with our build-off challenge, bringing our best profits to the table. Step one, discuss. Step two, build-off. Step three, Profit. Pro <laughs> ah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I don't that's, know where that's that That's probably going to be the show title. <laughs> <laughs> Step three, profit. Step three, profit. <laughs> and if you guys are listening, we want you to become a member of the Gamer Nation. Head to the Order 66 Podcast Facebook page. Throw us a like. Post up any questions or show topics you'd like discussed on the show. Um, we knew we had a really meaty segment with a guest tonight, guys, so we kind of uh, uh, forsook messages from the edge. But we do actually have a couple questions in the wings that you guys have submitted, um, not only through Facebook, but also through our Discord channel. Um, but they were lengthy. Uh, and we're actually very eager to discuss them, and we will be getting to them and making time for them in our next episode. Um, but guys, you can uh, also join the D20 Radio Facebook group, um, which is a very vibrant and active community of listeners ready to share your geeky love and engage in robust gaming discussions and questions. And of course, visit us at www.d20radio.com. Um, if you want to, you can go old school, head to the forums and register, post your mind there. Of course, you can email us, gmchris, gmphil, or gmdave at d20radio.com. Or if you're brave enough, like the amazing Droid Dreamer, you can leave us a question via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. Or you can email it your question to us in verbal form, and we'll get your voice on the podcast, because we like that. Um, you can also leave us liners, tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Oh, and with that, thank you all, Gamer Nation, for tuning in. We will see you in two weeks' time. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you. You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William Fyle. <laughs>
This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast and Gamer Nation, LFC. Thank you.